Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. So Acts chapter 8, as we gather together this morning, if you found Acts chapter 8, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of God's Word this morning, honoring it. And we'll start in that very first verse, and it reads like this. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc over the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to a city of, to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Father, this morning... We have worshipped you in spirit and truth through our singing and our time together here, Father, fellowshipping. And now we ask that as we approach your throne of grace and your word this morning, that you would settle our minds solely upon you. That, Father, this morning you would open our hearts and minds that we may hear you today. Do that, Father, by making very little of me and very much of you as we worship you through your word this morning. This we ask in the name of the word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, as a, question, as a Christian, what am I to do in the world we live in? A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon to you that was entitled, What Are We to Do? And it talked about our purpose and our mission and our vision of what Christ had given us. And then we run across this passage, the next in our Acts passage, uh, or Acts study this morning, and it talks about this, this church. And, and the question arose as I read this, what are we to do? But more importantly, what are we to do in the face of persecution? You know, it seems that there are attacks on your Christian faith everywhere you turn. I don't know if you've noticed or not. If you haven't, maybe you haven't been paying attention. What not too many years ago was considered to be a good and trustworthy thing is, is now considered to be narrow-minded and, and bigoted and hatred. You know, we, we see Christians all over the world being persecuted for their beliefs in, in Christ, and at times it seems like it would be much easier. It'd be much easier for us to, to just keep our beliefs to ourselves and, and to worship God in our own ways and, and just let the world do whatever it wants to do. It just seems sometimes it would be much easier to go into our prayer closet and stay there and just let this world run rampant if that's what it, it wants to do. And where we find ourselves in Acts this morning could be one of those moments in the early church. I mean, think about all that's gone on. Remember what has happened in, at the end of chapter 7 that we were in just a, a few weeks over a month or so ago. There was this Stephen, if you remember. This Stephen who was one of the deacons that was elected by the church to serve tables, if you remember. He's been killed for his faith in Jesus. You know, the religious community became so angry at this guy for speaking the truth about this Jesus and his rising from the dead, that they literally took him out to the edge of the city and took off their coats and they stoned him to death. 
I mean, if there's a reason to hide in your closet and keep your faith to yourself, maybe keeping your life is one of them. And maybe that's where, where the church saw itself at this point. But, but even as they were stoning Stephen, remember his response to it. See, as they were stoning him, it says back in Acts 7, 56, I believe it is, towards the end, it says, look, look, I, I see the heavens open and I, I see the, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Even, even in the midst of this being stoned to death, heaven was open to Stephen's eyes. And I believe that's why, as they were stunning to death, down towards the end of that chapter, about verse 60 or so of chapter 7, he said these words. Reminds me of words that Jesus said from a cross when he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You know, here he was facing the ultimate persecution. His life was being taken. His life was being taken because he was speaking life. Life in Christ, if you remember, is what Acts has been telling us that gospel message is. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. We pick up the story right there, standing on the cliff, looking at the dead body of Stephen, laying there, stoned to death. And Acts, te- uh, Acts 8 tells us what happens after the stoning of, of Stephen. And, and it gives us a godly perspective on, of what we are to do in the face of persecution. See, the first thing I noticed in this passage, as, as I read over it and, and studied it in my heart, the first thing that became uh, noticeable to me was the reality of persecution. The reality of persecution. Look what it says right in the very first verse. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Paul was consenting to his death. See, Saul was the, the ringleader. Saul was the ringleader of this persecution and stoning of Stephen. See, we like to jump ahead from this Saul to, to when his name was changed to Paul. And we like to see him in the light of a changed life. But never forget, before he became Paul, he was called Saul. And Saul was the ringleader here. Acts 7, uh, 58, matter of fact, tells us that the ones that were throwing the stones down on Stephen had taken off their outer garments and they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. This, this is the Saul. This is the Saul. Why, why did they lay the garments at his feet? It was, it was a sign that he was overseeing. He was in charge. Much like when the church in the early part of Acts would gather offerings, it said they brought them and laid them at the apostles' feet because the apostles were the leaders. These religious leaders and all took off their coats and laid them at the feet of Saul for he was the ringleader in all this. We know that. We know it to be a fact. Matter of fact, if you still got your Bibles open in Acts, flip over to Acts 22. Acts chapter 22. Straight from the, the mouth of, of Saul, now his name has been changed to Paul, but it's still the, the same man. In, in Acts chapter 22 and verse 19, he says this as he's given his testimony. That whole 22nd chapter is the testimony of Paul about his life. And in the 19th verse, he says this. So he said, Lord, they know that at every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And then verse 20, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. See, Acts chapter 8 starts with a man whose testimony later is, before I came to know who Christ was, I was the ringleader. 
I was the ringleader in the killing of those who were proclaiming this message. Saul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was a student of the law. And he actively, it says by his own words, he actively persecuted those who preached that the law couldn't save, but only trusting in Jesus Christ would save. See, that was the message that was being preached. It so infuriated those that were the Pharisees who held so firmly to this law, these rituals, these steps that are to be taken, these boxes that are to be checked off. And this Stephen and the other leaders were standing up saying, no, that law was to prove that you couldn't be saved by what you did. The only way to be saved is this man who you killed on a cross, who was buried in a tomb, who rose three days later that you might have life. So you can see this dichotomy in the mind of these Pharisees, this problem that they had. They had forever been teaching that it was the keeping of their law that satisfied God. Yet here stood these guys, Stephen in particular, saying, no, the law will never satisfy. Only what God did for us through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, will ever satisfy the debt of your sin. And you see, he was that Pharisee of the Pharisees, the, the student of the law, and he actively persecuted. And it tells us in that Acts 8, second part of that first verse, it says, At this time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. See, he had led the, the group to stone the leaders, to lock up the leaders, to do those things. And it, it says this great persecution now arose against the church. Remember where we're at in the life of the church. See, we tend to look at it from where we're at now and think the church has always been. But remember where the church started, where we're reading in the book of Acts. We're only eight chapters into the life of the church. You see, it's just, it had just began. This church had just began when Jesus, before he left, said, you gather in the upper room and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when it does, you're going to start doing something. And there was this gathering up of the believers that would lead to the church. It spread, if you remember, whenever Peter and John stood in the portico and they preached. And believers came, some 3,000, some 5,000. Others started coming in to this, this church. It grew as they walked past that gate, beautiful, and there sat the lame man. And when the lame man asked for alms, what did they tell him? Money I do not have. Money, riches I do not have. But let me give you the greatest gift that I have. Let me tell you about my Savior. And this lame man was healed. And, he, and if you remember, he, they stood before all those gathered in the temple with the lame man at their side. And they talked about the power of this Jesus Christ. Demonstrated in the lame man being healed, but demonstrated even more in the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. And they said, it's that power that will change your life. Remember what it cost them? Prison time. <laughs> remember? They, they were thrown into the prison. It continued to grow as believers came together daily, Acts says, worshiping and breaking bread and spending time together. In an attempt to stop the growth, in an attempt to say, no, this is going no further, uh, this growth of the church, Saul and, and the other religious leaders, they, they persecuted those. They persecuted those that were leading the way, the Peters, the Johns, the Stephens. We see him attacking those that were leading the way. But now, but now as we head into chapter 8, the persecution changes. Do you see it? See, the persecution moved from the pulpit to the pew. See the difference? It says a great persecution arose against the church. 
See, suddenly this whole idea of persecution moved from the leadership right down to the pew in our churches today. It moved from those that were leading to those that were following. It moves to what is called here the church. Keep in mind, there was no church building at that time. It didn't say the persecution moved to Morse Creek Baptist or to Burgall Baptist or to Atkinson Baptist. It said the church. Keep in mind, they had been meeting in houses, gathering together all during the week. Yes, in the, the portico at the temple we see them, but we also see them, it says, just gathering together in, in houses. So when it refers to the church here, what is it talking about? What is it talking about the church? In the Western world, we're so uh, trained to think of the church in a very particular way. But, but this word that's translated church here, it's actually used twice in the Gospels. It's used a bunch of times in Paul's writing. It was one of his favorite things to talk about. It's used all throughout the New Testament, New Testament, but it's particularly also used in Revelation. And, and what is it talking about? It's, its meaning is never, ever, ever in the context of a place or a building. You see, when we think of church, our mind immediately goes to where we're sitting. But when, when he mentioned this church and he, he talked about it, and what he was saying is this church, the word used here, draws its meaning from the Old Testament. It draws its meaning from the Old Testament when in the Old Testament they used to call the gatherings congregations or assemblies, if you remember. Congregations or assemblies. It varies in its uses in the New Testament as far as, as between a couple of options. One of the ways that it's used in the New Testament is for a local assembly, but it's also used in the New Testament for a universal assembly. Well, taking those two thoughts of how it's used and dumping it into the text we're at to put it into context, I think it's pretty easy by reading the context of this passage to understand it's talking about that church that is gathered there in Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because the church has yet to spread from Jerusalem. So it's talking about the church in mass at Jerusalem. There's no Jerusalem First Baptist Church. There's not a, a church of Christ of, down at the corner in Jerusalem. It's the, the church universal, but that church is gathered there in uh, Jerusalem. So the persecution now moved from the, the individuals to, to what is described as uh, to us in, in Acts 3 in a particular way that it moves. It moves from this, this leadership that has been persecuted, been locked up in prison. Now one of those have been killed. And then it moves to that third verse, and it shows how this, this persecution has changed. It's changed not only in the people that it is persecuting, from the leaders to the pew, but it's changed in the way that they're being persecuted. Look what verse 3 says. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. So it's saying he made havoc of, of the church. How did he do it? <laughs> entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That's how a thought crossed my mind. If every time we met here, someone kicked in the door and started dragging you off to prison, if you got out, say, Tuesday, would you be back here next Sunday? <laughs> because it says this guy, he took no chances. He took no chances of missing someone. Get the picture that's being painted for you. It says that he took his mission door to door. We're afraid to go knock on a door and tell him about Jesus. He was kicking in the door and saying, do you know Jesus? And if they do, he was dragging them out. And look, it, it didn't make any difference. It didn't make any difference in your gender. Because it says specifically, he hauled off men and women. Huh. It was hauling off everybody. And it says that he forcibly withdrew them dragging them out of the house. 
committing them to prison. See the shift in the persecution? It had gone from those that were leading right down to those in the pew. Maybe that's why it said in Acts 1 that they were all scattered throughout the regions. You know, I know how to get to church to leave the building and go somewhere else. Well, have somebody kick in the door and start arresting you. Well, have somebody show up at your house and start dragging you out. Everybody be looking for a new address. It says they were scattered. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Unfortunately, in our Western churches, it's the thought process. <laughs> Pastor, that's a great story of what's happening in Jerusalem, but what's that got to do with me? We sit here comfortably this morning. We sit here a little warm because apparently the air conditioner's not running and I have sweat running down my back. But we're still relatively comfortable. I mean, it is December. You're supposed to be sweating, right? <laughs> you know, Pastor, what's it got to do with me? You, you know, that's a legitimate question. It, it's a, it's a legitimate question we should be asking because nothing in the Bible is ever written to fill up pages. Understand that. There's not a word. There's not a period. There's nothing written in the Bible just to fill up a page. So if you ever read the Bible and you're not looking for what it says to you, about you, or how it can change you, you're wasting your time. So it's a great question to read it and say, hey, what does that have to do with me? What is this persecution that's dragging people out of churches, this stoning a guy out of a cliff? What has all this got to do with me? Let me ask you a question then. Is the church today being persecuted? Are we as in mass as a church universal being persecuted? Yes. The answer is yes. Either you don't watch the news or you don't pay attention, but the answer is yes. We hear about brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that, that face death because of their belief in Christ. We've seen videos of them lined up being shot or their heads cut off because they would not renounce their faith and switch back to being a Muslim. You know, we see and read about these missionaries and pastors that go overseas and they, they yes, go to spread the gospel, but they're also doing humanitarian work. They're, they're putting in wells. They're providing medical. They're doing things. And just because they believe in Jesus Christ, they come and lock them up in prison. And they don't lock them up for a weekend or a week or a month. Some stay for years and years and years. Not because of what they were doing was wrong. They needed the water. They needed the medical supplies. They needed to know how to plant food and grow their own food. That had nothing to do with it. All those were good things. But because those people believed in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, they were placed in a cell with the door locked and left there. You know, it's happening all around. But, but our problem is we look at that and we go, how, how does that affect me? How does that affect me, Pastor? That's on the opposite side of the world. Again, a legitimate question. So let me rephrase my question. Is the church in America being persecuted today? You see, that's one we need to think about because that's where we're at. We do not live in, in fear for our lives because of our beliefs in Jesus Christ. There's not a soul that showed up here this morning with the thought process that today you would die because you believe in Jesus Christ. Yet if you watch the news... There are people that are walking into our places of worship and killing people. They're killing them because they believe in Jesus Christ. They're so against us. So it, it is a very real possibility. Has it happened in our neighborhood? No. Can it? Yes. Absolutely. See, we don't, we don't fear for imprisonment because of our beliefs. There's not a one of us that are afraid to carry our Bible in public thinking that the carrying of that Bible will put us into prison. Is there? 
even as hard as it is in our schools and stuff, our kids can take their Bible to school and there's not a thing that anybody can do about it. We, we don't worry about being imprisoned for our faith. <laughs> Yet, we hear about those who run their businesses based on what this Bible says and what is the world trying to do to them. What is America trying to do to them? They're trying to put them out of business. When a person wants to stand on what it says, they're trying to sue them. See, we're now hearing about those that want to make the proclamation of the gospel and saying that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only way that you can be in a, a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. They're wanting to make it so to, to proclaim those words are hate speech. Do, do you understand what that, what that makes, the proclamation of the gospel when they do that? It makes it a crime. And let me ask you a question. What do they do to criminals? They lock them up. See, if you don't think it's coming, you've got your head stuck in the sand. You see, we, we say to ourselves, none of that could ever happen here. <laughs> Let me just ask you to take a walk down memory lane for some of you who are older like myself. Think about the laws that are in place now that go against our Christian beliefs Keep us from posting things such as the Ten Commandments. Keep us from having prayers at certain things. Think about the laws that are in place right now that your mom and dad would have said that will never happen here. Isn't there a whole host of them? There's a whole host of them just 50 years ago that that generation would have said, that will never happen in America, and we're living in it. The church in America is being persecuted. Understand this. The reality is we are all being persecuted for our faith. How do you know that, Pastor? Are you a prophet? Has God given you a special word? No. I just believe what Jesus said. I believe exactly what Jesus said. We're short on time. Just flip to Matthew. I'm going to give you a couple of things to read real fast. It's all through the, the Gospels. But let me just go to let Jesus tell you about it. He says this in Matthew 5, which, by the way, if you've been doing your weekly Bible reading, you're uh, memorizing the chapter 5, which is a Sermon on the Mount, in case you didn't catch that. Um, and this is on down towards the end in the 10th verse of Matthew chapter 5. He says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He starts off his ministry standing on a mountain saying all these things that are blessed, such as being merciful, such as being pure in heart. And he says, blessed are the ones that are persecuted. Why? Because he goes on to say, like over in the 10th chapter or so, he goes over in the 10th chapter, like the 20, 21st verse, just to make it short. He says this, now brother, brother will deliver up brother to death. And the father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. That's from the lips of Jesus. He says, you'll be hated by all for, for my name's sake. If that's not good enough for you, just one more. Or I'll let you go home and find the rest later. But Matthew 24, as you get down towards the end of, of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24, over in about, uh, about the ninth verse. About the ninth verse, as he's, as he's answering a couple of questions for the disciples, and he moves on to talk about this tribulation period, he says this in verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
Why do I know that there's a reality that we will be persecuted? Because Jesus said so. He doesn't give an exemption to us, the Western church in America. He says, if you believe and profess and confess my name, they will persecute you. So persecution, there is a reality of it. Second in the text, I saw that there is a response to that persecution in the 8th chapter. If persecution's going to come on us individually or as a church, the question then becomes, what are we to do in the face of persecution? God is working in and through all the situations of our life, everything that's going on in our life to make us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. He's doing it for His glory that others would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let's not set that aside. Even that the, the fact that the persecution is coming doesn't change God's plan or His goal for being glorified by us who live here, by us coming to look like Jesus Christ, to be His image as it says we should be growing into each day and, and that we would worship Him in everything that we are. And, and it should not, the persecution should not drive us from Him, but it should drive us to Him, to worship Him for what He does in and through us and for us in those times of persecution. If what a better way, what a better way to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us, the church, than to stay on mission, even in the face of persecution. You see, because what our tendency is, is when the heat gets hot, we get out of the kitchen. But what better way to bring God the glory he deserves than when the heat gets hot, we stay on the mission. You see, remember the mission that was given. We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago from Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, 19th and 20th verse, Jesus said this to the disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That is the commission that he gave to those disciples, and therefore he gave it to us as a church. As the body of Christ, he gave it to us. How, how do I know it applies to the church? Very simply, connected to the church as you see it growing in Acts. If you'll flip real fast to Acts chapter 1, you can see the connection between the commission that he gave them and what he tells them right before his ascension in Acts 1.8 when he says these words, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses or witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, when he ended up Matthew, he said to them, here's your commission. Here's what you must go do. You must go make disciples, which means that you're living in their life. You're walking next to them. You're earning the right to share the gospel. He says you must baptize them. That's part of that salvific part of our mission is to share the gospel with them. And then it says you are to teach them all things. In other words, you're to help them to grow in Christ, to become a disciple maker themselves. And he said that to them. And then he tells them how to do that right here in the 8th chapter. Right here in the 8th chapter, he says, be a witness. Be a witness of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That, that's what he said in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That, that was his directive. Now, as we move over to the 8th chapter, we see the response to the persecution. It says in that 4th verse of Acts chapter 8, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What a beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. 
in verse 1, it had said that everyone was scattered, but it had an exception to the rule, did you notice? Except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem where they were faced the greatest persecution and they continued to build and support that church that started there. And you know it's significant to know that they stayed behind at first. We see them go later. Because we're about to see the message of Jesus Christ spread and the disciples be made in all that region. We're about to see those people come to know Jesus Christ and become followers of Him. And guess who does it? The people in the pew. It's a beautiful picture of God's plan for you and for me. See, it removes the excuse that you have to be a trained individual to do it. It removes the reasoning that we pay the pastor to take care of that. It it removes the excuse that I don't even know what to do. See, because when persecution came and they scattered and went and preached the word, it says the paid help, the trained help, the ones who had been with Jesus stayed home. It says the lay people left. I hope that convicts you this morning. I hope that makes you take a look at your life and what you're doing because it says the ordinary scared believers, it says they preached the word everywhere they went. That word preach there means to communicate the good news concerning something. That's what it means. It doesn't mean the physical paid act of standing in a pulpit and preaching. It means to to speak the good news about what's going on in your, your life. And all of us are capable. All of us are capable of communicating the good news of something if that is good news to us. How do I know that? Has anybody bought a new car recently? Anybody? You know anybody that's bought a new car? You know what I found out about people? And You could use any example. I just happen to think about a new car. Have you ever noticed what happens when you ask a person about their new car? I know what happens, especially if a guy that's bought him a nice new truck. You're going to get a list of all the great features. You're going to find out how good the seats sit. You're going to find out you can crank it with your phone from the truck from the house so that the seats are warm when you get in it. You're going to find out the sunroof rolls back with a push of a button. You're going to find out how much it'll pull, how much it'll haul, how big the tires are, how loud the muffler is. You're going to find out all those things. You're going to find out all this, this good news. Why? Because it's something that's good news to them. Even, even if the person had to get the new truck because the old one blew up and left them on the side of the road, they're not going to tell you about the bad news. They're going to tell you about the good news of the new truck. See, that is what those who scattered did as they went from region to region. They didn't tell them about the persecution. See, their response to the persecution, the bad news, was to tell them about Jesus, the good news. And see, that's what we need to learn to do. Too many times today, our focus is on what the government or groups or people are trying to take away from us, what rights they're trying to strip away from us, when our focus should be on what God has given us. Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who rose from the dead that you might have eternal life, no matter what the government does. Jesus came up from the grave for me. Our focus doesn't need to be on what's being taken away. It needs to be on what's given. The good news. 
when that good news becomes good news to you, you'll tell everybody about it when you scatter. You see, if we understood the reality of persecution, we'd have the right response to persecution, then maybe we'd experience the third thing that I see in this text, and it's the result of this persecution. Look at Acts 8, verse 5. Notice as it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. This Philip says he went to Samaria. This should raise a couple of questions for you. First and foremost, who is Philip? <laughs> That's always a good question. From what we know about the early church, what we read in the, the New Testament, you've got a couple of choices here. You've got a couple of choices you may be able to, to pick up on Philip the apostle or, or there's this, this Philip the deacon. That we, we see come to life here in, in Acts as, as he's selected. Matter of fact, if you remember in chapter 7, Philip's name was the second name listed right behind Stephen when the church picked deacons. Remember? So they're more than likely listed in the order of, of significance or priority. So there's a Stephen who's now been killed. And now you find the second person in the list, this, this Philip. And in the context of the passage, we know that it's that Philip because it's already told us in verse number 1 that the apostles, which the other Philip's a part of, stayed home. So we know the apostle Philip's home with the rest of them in Jerusalem, and we've got this, this Philip the deacon who is, is left. And, and where does it say that Philip went? Because, again, nothing's written for no reason. It says he went to this place called Samaria. What do you know about Samaria? I think that rings some bells with you. I see a couple smiling already. See, we know it's a, a north of Jerusalem, even though it says he went down. It's not geographically on a map down. It's height down. <laughs> he went down to this place called Samaria. We know it's north of Jerusalem. Um, it was the capital city of the northern kingdom once the kingdoms were split. We know those things about it. But, the un but underlying to this is, is the, the group of people that's there. It's a people that outwardly looked like they might be worshipers of God, yet internally they were worshipers of idols and and man-made things, and man-made religion. We, we know those things about it. If you remember in the, the Gospels, it, it tells us that a devout Jew, as a matter of fact, if he was going north, leaving Jerusalem, wanted to get to the opposite side of Samaria, what did he do? Crossed over, went up beside the Jordan, and came back in after he had passed Samaria. Because he didn't want anything to do with it. But remember Jesus. <laughs> remember Jesus. They were headed north, and where did he make a beeline to? Samaria, <laughs> to, a, to a whale. He wanted, he wanted to go sit down because he had this divine appointment with somebody in the place called Samaria, if you remember. He sat next to a whale and he spoke into a lady's life. The lady was so excited she left her jug of water, ran to the city and said, you have to meet this man named Jesus. Suddenly, he became good news to her. And the first thing she did was proclaim it to the city that hated her. You see, Jesus had compassion. And Philip, apparently being a disciple of Jesus, had a heart like Jesus. And as he scattered to Samaria, he had compassion on them. And he told them about the good news of this Jesus. And he did not do it in secret. See, we think about when they're scattered because of persecution, they're probably hiding in an upper room somewhere and only telling those that come in. We know for a fact that is not what happened with Philip because the Word tells us that is not what happened. Look at verse number 6. See, it says in 5 that he went to Samaria, and 6 it says, and the multitudes, the multitudes. How long would it take if you were hidden in an upper room to get multitudes to hear your story? I don't think you ever would. 
He apparently was standing on the street corner proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He was in the marketplace proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He was going house to house, restaurant to restaurant, store to store, probably even in the Walmart was telling them about Jesus Christ. And it says this multitude heard. He preached to anyone and everyone who would listen. And it says that they heard him. See, God had prepared the way through persecution. By allowing persecution to come to the church, he had paved the road to Samaria. He had paved the road for Philip to walk. And he had prepared the hearts of those that were there that when Philip showed up and Philip said, let me tell you the best news I've ever heard. He has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He was buried in a tomb. He rose three days later that we might have eternal life. Let me tell you about this Jesus. It says the multitude heard and it says the multitude with one accord agreed see what happens when you don't focus on the persecution but you focus on the one who delivers you from the persecution the lord jesus christ you speak the word no matter where you're at or what situation you're in god blesses it and it says a multitude with one accord heeded the things that philip had spoken. They saw great miracles done as evidence that this man was from God. They saw, they saw demons cast out. They saw the lame healed. They saw the miraculous works. But more importantly, it says first and foremost, they heard and heeded what he had said. And how do I know that it changed the place? I love scripture. It answers all your questions if you'll just look. How do I know it changed the place? The one short verse, number eight. And it says, and there was great joy in that city. True joy, true peace, peace, true unity only comes with trusting in Jesus Christ. And it says the whole city, the whole city was filled with this joy. Jesus coming into a heart and a life should bring so much joy that it's infectious. It should become infectious to those around you. Those who see this good news in your life should be drawn to you to say, what makes you so happy? What makes you so peaceful? What what makes you just walk through life as if there's not a care in the world? And that's when you say, God, thank you for putting it on the tee and handing me the bat. And you slap it out of the park when you say, I don't place my faith and my trust in chariots and horses or man's laws. I place my my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And because he is Lord and Savior, I have nothing to worry about. No matter the persecution that comes, I have Jesus. How do I know I have Jesus? He said beyond a shadow of a doubt, he would never leave me nor forsake me. How do I know that I can have peace? Because he is the Prince of Peace. How do I know the world can do nothing to me? Because Jesus is my Lord and my King. And it says one day everybody's going to realize that. Because their knee's going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that He is who I already know Him to be. The Lord and the King of my life and the Kingdom of God. How can I walk through a, a place of persecution and not worry about the persecution and focus on Christ? Because Christ has got it. Christ has got this thing. You see, it was a city that was so despised by the Jews. It was a city that the Jews avoided. It was a city that was different ethically. It was different morally. It was different socially. It was even different religiously than all this group in Jerusalem. But Philip went to preach to them the good news of Jesus Christ. 
See, there's a lesson in that for us as the church. There's a big lesson in that for us as the church. See, wherever God leads, we go. It's not a question of why. It's not a question of how. It's not a question of when. When God says go, we go. We go as individuals. We go as churches. We support those who go places we can't go. Why? Because God said to go. That that was the commission. That was what He told these disciples they were going to do. That's what He says the church should do. Maybe persecution is coming to drive us out of our comfort zone. Maybe persecution is coming to the Western church so that the Western church will get out of its self-centered nature and start seeing the world as Christ sees them. A field white for harvest, waiting for those that are in the harvest to come. See, maybe persecution is coming to others in other nations and driving them to our nation because we refuse to go. Have you ever thought about that? We have pockets of lostness of foreign people in our country all over North Carolina that have come here to escape persecution in their country. I really think it's God saying, if you won't go, I'll bring them to you. See, we need to be like Philip. We need to understand our purpose. We need to heed the call of Jesus to make disciples. We, we then need to have that vision of Jesus to have compassion on those. Those, as it says, closest to us. There was those in Jerusalem that was closest to us, but also have compassion on those that are furthest away from us. But understand this. Furthest away is not always measured in miles. See, we tend to think, yeah, the furthest away, I'm never going there. Understand this. Sometimes the furthest away is measured by skin color. Sometimes those furthest from us are of a different race. Sometimes those that are furthest from us are of a different economic status. Sometimes those that are furthest from us have made life choices that make us look down on them. Maybe they're a drug addict. Maybe they're homeless. But we're far from them, not in miles. We're far from them in the way we live life. So we don't go. See, it can even be measured in our morality. It can even be measured in our morality. Hot buttons in our nation today are same-sex marriage. The rights of the LBGTQL A to Z group, whatever it is that has the whole list. You know, and quite honestly, our response to them most times is to keep them at an arm's length. Because we don't want that in our church. I'm not saying what they're doing is morally right. No, it's biblically wrong. But how not being told that it's wrong is it ever going to change? How is the guy sleeping tonight under a cardboard box on the corner? How's it ever going to change if he's not told about Jesus? How's those that are Muslims that worship a false god ever going to change if they don't hear about Jesus? You see, persecution should drive us to go out and share the gospel. When I look at the world and see the persecution against all that I believe, I ask myself the question, what am I to do in the face of this persecution? I believe we've seen the answer in that today. 
if we are devoted followers of Jesus Christ and do what He did and what He's commissioned us to do, tell the good news of Jesus everywhere we go, then God will be glorified and others will come to be worshipers of Him. And that's why God's got us here. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.